0: You're listening to the Accounting Influencers Podcast. This is your access to world-class accounting leaders, global influencers, and thought leaders. Discover what makes accounting firms great and accounting professionals world-class.
1: Sponsored by Dext. Make the businesses you advise more productive, profitable and powerful with better data and insights.
0: It's the Accounting Influencers Podcast with me, Rob Brown. We bring you special guests from the world of accounting and fintech to tell you what is happening and, most importantly, what is working. I'm thrilled to have with me today one of the world's foremost authorities on the world of qualifications in accounting and fintech. It is Brian Hock. Good day to you, sir. Good day. How are you today? We're splendid, Brian. Wonderful to have you on with us. For the benefit of people that have not come across you and the world that you have built for
1: yourself, tell us a bit about you and your life. Well, I started uh, out of college. I started as an auditor and decided fairly quickly that while I understand auditing is a wonderful profession and that there's a lot of people that enjoy it, it wasn't exactly for me. It wasn't something that I was looking forward to. And so I stayed within the big four. I was with Price Waterhouse at the time and I got into their training department. And so for the past 25 plus years, I've been involved in training in one way or another. Um, almost all of it with certifications. For the past 23 years, I started my own company in the year 2000. We've uh, been doing a lot of US-based accounting certifications, but providing training for candidates all over the world, India, Middle East, Europe, North America, all over. Now, I'm a part-qualified accountant and
0: a former high school math teacher, so... Back in the day, this would have been around 2000, I was studying my qualifications and and like some people decided accountancy wasn't for me, but loved some aspects of it. Talk to us about how the accounting qualification has changed over the years, if indeed it has. We know accounting has been ever thus and double entry bookkeeping, but the qualifications
1: themselves, have they changed much? They've changed. A lot of it driven by, I think, really two things. One is a change in standards. As accounting standards change and as tax standards change, obviously what it is that's covered in the certifications change. And so that's, I think, pretty straightforward. But I think the other area that the certifications have changed a lot recently has to do with technology. All of the uses of technology, the use of data in auditing, the use of data in management decisions, and just individuals having to be aware of all of the data that's out there, how to use it, how to manage it, obviously how to protect it. Far too often we see something in the news about a company that didn't protect all of the data as well as they were supposed to have. And so there's issues connected to that. But it's really, I think, a big change is technology and how it is that technology is changing the role of the accountant. When I took the CPA exam almost 30 years ago, it was paper and pencil. And we studied in a book. And there wasn't online videos and all of that, even study tools, but just in the profession. It was all work papers. And papers were paper. And tick marks were tick marks that you made. And so as technology has come into, and obviously with everything that's in the news today, is going to continue to Im- impact auditing and accounting, the finance fields. That's going to be a part of where certifications have to keep up so that people who are getting the certifications have that kind of data IT background and skills to operate. We'll
0: go more into that, of course, but you use the phrase in the news today and I can't help but want to ask you about Russia because Russia is big in the news today. You are in the unique position of having lived in Russia. Tell us a little bit about how that came about and What your life was like over there, Brian, and then we'll comment perhaps a little bit on what is happening right now as it relates to the accounting world.
1: My uh, career in Russia actually started when I was 16 years old. I went to then the Soviet Union. It was 1987. And so everyone can do the math and figure out how old I am. But that's amazing because most Americans I know don't even have a passport and haven't been out of their own state. So what's an American boy doing in Russia at 16? So I went in 1987, and it was a program that was called Citizen Diplomacy, where the idea was for American citizens to actually connect with Soviet citizens. And I say that I enjoyed it, but I don't think it was enjoyed in the same sense as going to Disney World is enjoyed or or something like that. And so I went back again uh, twice in college with youth groups and when I was in college, I before I became an accounting major, I was a Russian history major, a diplomacy and foreign affairs major. And then after a couple of years, I decided I wanted a, a job going forward in my life. And so I followed my father's and my older brother's footsteps and became an accounting major. But when I interviewed, I said, I want to go to Russia. And so in, when I graduated, I had offers from three different offices in Russia, and i went in 1994 to a city that's about 600 miles 1000 kilometers east of moscow which is where the russian car manufacturer is one of the the main passenger car manufacturers and i spent time there that's where i decided auditing was not my life's calling and it wasn't something i wanted to do for the next 30 years and i got into training within the big 4 we did a lot of acca training back then and and um, some SEMA training. And I stayed in training through that. Um, In the year 2000, I left Arthur Anderson and started my own company to do accountancy training, CPA and CMA, CIA training. And then it just kind of, it grew. I stayed there. I enjoyed it. Um, And then 10 years ago, a little more than 10 years ago, kind of, I woke up and said, well, I think I'm done here. I'd spent 18 years in Russia at the start of my career. And we moved you know, 11 years ago, back to the US. But a lot, of, a lot of that time was in training and the students I had were brilliant. We had people at, at that time, we had to fly to the US to take the CPA exam. And so I joked, I had a few students, I could have given them a book and sat them on the airplane and told them you have 10 hours and that would have been enough for them to be ready to pass the exam. Um, but it was a great student base that we worked with. We had great results and it was a lot of fun to to be part of a lot of those young professionals careers as they were just starting in the career. And I've lived myself in Hong Kong for
0: a few years, and it's not until you get immersed in a culture as a, someone living there, not as a tourist that you really appreciate the, the inner workings of a country, the the politics, the people, the society. And so having been there for so long, I, are you okay commenting on what you feel is happening right now? Because of obviously the war in Ukraine it's affected business and life all over the
1: world, hasn't it? It's a tragedy on so many levels. And I think that it's unfortunate that a lot of people, a lot of media are not separating the Russian government from the Russian people. And I think this is the case in every government. I, I know not every person is fully supportive of everything that their government does. But I think in the case of Russia, it's a very it's an extreme situation where the government is not acting at the will of the people or at the you know, at the desire of what the people in Russia want to have happen. And it's just obviously something that needs to stop as soon as possible. And I don't know what the off ramp is for what's happening, but it is it's and it's disrupted so many people, not only in Russia and Ukraine, but all of the ripple effects through the economy. And we begin to see what we saw during covid, the interconnectedness of the supply chain and how. Even one link in that supply chain falling apart or being disrupted has ripple effects that we don't even really expect when something happens. And I can't help but draw a similar parallel, obviously not on the same
0: devastating scale, but of a government not representing its people with the US government right now and the whole TikTok scandal and uh, half of the American population are on TikTok and the sanctions that are being imposed on this big social media company because of data and everything else have been imposed by the will of the government and not necessarily the will of the people. Do you have a take on that? Well,
1: I, American politics is a separate, <laughs> <all> separate <laughs> conversation. But I think part of it is the fact that I, from what I see is the middle ground has been lost in politics. And, and it's, you know, it, whether it's because everyone has to get on Twitter and have the most extreme soundbite to, to make it through all the clutter that's out there but it seems like there's there's been a loss of goals objectives what is fundamental to a country the the values that a country has and it's been lost into just trying to become the most extreme one way or the other without compromising no willingness to listen to the other side the other perspective and it's something where i mean even you know running a business it's a matter of what are the values that you have as a business and how do those values get played out in the way you operate. I was just was talking with somebody I know who runs a business and the manager, the director of the business was very successful. They brought that person in a few months earlier, but they weren't, they weren't behaving properly in the office kind of bullying and, and just kind of an inappropriate abuse of power. And the person said, you know, we've always said people come first. And so we have to make a decision. Are we going to actually have our people come first or are our profits going to come first? And I think that's kind of what's happened and what's been lost in politics. We don't have a value that we're trying to achieve. And you and I may have different ways of achieving it, but we both agree on what it is we're trying to achieve. It seems like we've lost a discussion of what the goal is. And we get lost in an argument about how to get where nobody really agrees where we're trying to even go. In the
0: UK here, we used to laugh at American politics and saying uh, how you clowns had really got it wrong. But we are really making a mess of things over here right now. So you have not got the monopoly on crazy politics.
1: Well, I think, too, part of it is if you look at what happens to politicians, it raises the question of who wants to become a politician, who wants to get into that, where everything you do is criticized by half the population. There's so many personal attacks, and I think there's probably a lot of people that would be happy to be in that middle of the road or a lot closer to the middle of the road and work on that consensus that just don't want to go through the terrible experience of being in the public eye right now. I'm bringing it back to the topic of qualifications,
0: accreditations. I kind of help thinking that a lot of accountants I speak to feel that certainly aspects of the qualifications are not fit for purpose, and they accuse the people that are setting the exams, the governing bodies, the professional institutes of being out of touch and not representing what public accounting or professional accounting is down there on the cold face. Is there some element of truth to that? Well,
1: I think there is when you look at what a certification is trying to do in terms of whether or not a certification is a very broad-based certification or whether it's kind of more of a niche certification and not choosing this isn't an exam I've ever been involved with, but there's a certification, Certified Fraud Examiner. Well, that seems pretty specific what it should be, okay? It's examining fraud. And so that a narrow certification should still be fairly specific to its target audience or its target, its goals, its values or its mission, however we want to look at it. But when you start getting into more broad-based certifications that are what people do right out of university or while they're in university, and so CPA, acCA, SEma, different kind of broader-based ones, yeah, there is there is going to be part of that certification that nobody's ever going to use. You know, I, I passed the CPA exam 30 years ago. One of those exams was U.S. tax. Well, the tax code today is significantly different than it was 30 years ago. And so any element of a certification that deals with tax is going to kind of be outdated 6, 12, 18 months after the person passes that exam. And so it's important for the certification to maintain kind of job awareness what it is that is happening in the world one of the exams i'm involved with cma certified management accountant they're in the process of doing their job survey where they go out to all the members everybody anybody has the opportunity to share what do you do in your job essentially and that they're able to then take that information and see what it is that people are doing where things are going what the trends are and that's where more it shows up in certifications If there's a certification now in accounting or finance that doesn't cover data analytics and the use of all of that data, yeah, they've they've failed to stay as current as they probably should be with what it is that people are doing. I remember my days
0: as a maths teacher, Brian, where I'm, say, teaching the children Pythagoras and right angle triangles or some algebra. And and the kids are very naturally asking, so why are we doing this? We're never going to use this in real life. It's not applicable to what I'm going to be facing out there. And some accounts do level that accusation that how relevant is this, what I'm doing right now to what's going to be happening out there in the real
1: world. And they've got a point to an extent, haven't they? They do. And again, this comes back to when you have a job that is very narrow in what it does. And part of the way I look at this is that the larger the company you're in, most likely the more narrow the scope of your job. If you work for a huge company, you might be in accounts receivable. But if you're in a small company, accounts receivable isn't a full-time job. And so you're in accounts receivable and payable. And so when you get into one of these, you know, into a very narrow job, yeah, a lot of what you studied in your certification is not relevant. But the way I look at it is a certification really shouldn't be about what you're doing today. When you choose a certification and look at your certification, it should be based on five years from now. Five years from now, I want to be the finance director. I don't want to be the accounts payable person. I want to have a larger role. And so the certification is part of that education process and getting those skills and the knowledge so that when that promotion opportunity comes up, when somebody asks you, hey, what, what do you want to do next? You have an answer and you've also demonstrated, I'm actually being proactive here and getting myself in a situation or position to be able to do that job five years, three years down the line. But honestly,
0: Brian, how many people know what they want to be doing in five years? Certainly when I think back to when I was 20 years old, I thought I knew it all, but I really knew nothing. And I had no clue about where my life was going and in what direction I wanted to push it. So they take a qualification with the hope of getting a broad education, broad scope, open up some doors and maybe try a few things and pick a lane. So it does need to be wide in its remit,
1: doesn't it, to hit a lot of bases? When I talk to students and go back to CFE, nobody knows they're going to become a fraud exam until three weeks before they get promoted into that position (laughs) or drafted into that position. And so the specialty certifications are the ones that I look at that are a little bit later in your career, after you have a sense of what it is that you want to do. I mean, if you go in and you get a job in the big four or any audit firm You don't know what area you might end up in, or what industry you might end up in if you leave the firm and go to one of your clients. And so, at the beginning, those general certifications are kind of a ticket to enter. You need to have that certification, and I agree it may not be terribly relevant, but the firm, the company, you you know, that's part of their resume selection. It gets you in the game, doesn't it, Brian? It's the entry fee, right? And it's something we have. Our oldest son is in college right now, and he's in his second year, and. You know, he talks about what he studies in classes. And sometimes I kind of think, well, that's probably never going to be used again in your life after this class is over. But part of that is it's how to learn. It's how to learn, how to study and starting to put pieces together. And so from a certification standpoint, when you're looking into the future, even if it's not something you do right now, it's how a company operates. Somebody in the company is doing that. At some point, you're going to come into contact with that person. And if you're able to speak intelligently, if you're able to demonstrate you understand what the finance function does or what the procurement function does, you're a step ahead of somebody who doesn't have that background and doesn't have some base of knowledge to even to understand what you don't know. I think that's something that's important too. I know enough about a topic. I mean, if you take a professional certification, you are not an expert in any, you don't come out as having the equivalent of 20 years of experience in any field, but- you have enough to know what questions to ask. You know enough to recognize, well, what you've told me doesn't make sense or I need a little more information or something. And so it's it's not necessarily to have every answer yourself through the certification process, but to know what you don't know and what questions you need to ask to get the information that you need. And indeed, where
0: to go or who to ask to get those questions answered. That's a part of it, isn't it? Yeah. Would you say that there's any competition between certifications? We talked about the CPA exam. In the UK, we hear we have the ACC and the Chartered Accountancy exam. You'll have seen the differences between them all, Brian. Is one better than the other? Or are they just different or are they all much the same?
1: They are different. And which one is better for you comes down to a couple of things. One is, if you want to be a fraud examiner, well... Certified Fraud Examiner is the certification that you need, but it also has to do with business perception. And for whatever reason, CPA seems to be recognized around the world as one of the premier accounting certifications. But if you look at CPA, one of the four exams is U.S. tax. Okay, so how many people do U.S. tax? Even in the U.S., CPAs aren't involved in in tax all the time. Well, the U.S. dollar is even losing relevance now, isn't it, Brian? We're so topical at the moment one of the exams is audit. And so it's possible that somebody outside the United States is taking CPA because that's what the market wants, even though what they're learning becomes a a memorization exercise. I need to learn US tax code just to pass this exam. Nobody's ever going to ask me a tax question again, nor should they, but I needed to pass this exam. And so part of the issue with certifications is one way a certification gets value is the business community values it. You look for a job and it says CPA, CA, whatever required or preferred. Well, you may not think that that specific certification is going to add a lot of value to you, but if you want a job, that's the price of admission in a sense. Um, And then also certifications get value because of government requirements. You know, you have to be a CPA in the United States to sign an audit opinion. Well, Outside of the United States, there is no legal requirement, at least not many that I'm aware of, where you have to be a CPA to do something. Your company may want you to be a CPA if you're outside. but And so a lot of it comes down to what the business community perceives to have value. And so the competition between the firms is really to get the HR companies <laughs> to value their certification as one that they want to put into advertisements for job placement offers so let me push back on the perceived value of a qualification we've heard
0: stories here on the show of businesses that are hiring non-accountants to do their taxes and audits because they're bringing in software accredited specialists and it is very much about the software you mentioned the importance of tech at the top of the show so they they say they don't need qualified accountants so they'll at least for the majority of the work they will get it done by people that know how to use the Zero and the Sage and the Intuit and everything else, and who actually needs a, a qualified CPA. Is there
1: some uh, kudos to that? I absolutely agree. Taxes. My personal taxes, I pay $40 a year. I get a software program. It asks me a series of questions. I say yes, no. And at the end, it tells me if I have a refund or if I owe. And so there are a lot of those positions in a company that aren't in need of a certified person. The way I look at that, the the kind of responses to where the certified person belongs is to use that data, to use that information and the you know, ratio analysis. I can give you a, a formula and a company's financial statements, and you can calculate any ratio I tell you. The person may not know what it is, but we can say, take this number, divide it by this number, multiply it by that, and you get three. Well, the certified person or the knowledgeable person, and they may not even be certified, but the experienced knowledgeable person is able to take that number and what does it mean? Is this good? Is this bad? If this is bad, what do we need to do to fix it? What are the issues that led to this? And so it's not the creation of the data that you need an experienced and certified person for. It's the use of that information for the company and making decisions. I take your point. And we're moving now from the realms of
0: compliance and regulatory stuff to the area advisory and, and what we do with that data. I've got a friend called ChatGPT. I'm sure you know him. Her, they, that can interpret US tax law and interpret various tax codes and regulations and everything else and come up with a pretty good answer. So, a lot of that heavy lifting is already done, but it's still there in the qualifications, isn't it? To some
1: extent, yes. I think it's, it's something that, I mean, part of the question about using the data is do you understand how the data is created? And um, for example, in CMA exam, they cover accounting, but they don't test debits and credits. It's what are fixed assets? Why are, what are the issues that we have about fixed assets rather than when we buy a fixed asset, what's the debit and the credit? Because again, that debit and credit, you and I aren't making that anymore in most cases, but what does this information mean? Why do we care? How do we use this information and how does this go in with all of the other information that we have as a business to making the decisions that, that we make. And it's again, in terms of taxes, I don't understand in the United States, how so many people don't do their own taxes because it's. Up to a certain point, it is yes, no, yes, yes, no, yes. It's a spreadsheet, Brian, isn't it? Really? Right. And you and you, you can upload your tax documents to the software and, and it does it all magically. But when you start getting into corporations and you start getting into different types of investment vehicles, that's where you want your, you know, that's where Chat GPT is probably not your best tax advisor um, or tax planning. But I agree there's a lot of that kind of basic information, data entry. That doesn't need to be tested. It's that data analysis and the use of that information and in making decisions. What
0: degree do you feel a profession has an image problem, Brian? And I'm alluding here to the fact that fewer and fewer people are taking accounting degrees, fewer and fewer people are coming into the accounting profession. People are leaching out of public and private accounting, we call it private accounting here, to go into industry and into commerce and, and maybe out of the accounting profession altogether. So that's not just because of the the qualifications that are arduous and rightly so. It's because of the profession as a whole. So speaking to that a little bit for us. I think a lot of it's lifestyle.
1: And the perception is that if you go in and work for the big four, you know, you're you're gonna work however many 60, 80 hours a week during busy season, and busy season keeps getting longer and longer for whatever reason. <laughs> yeah. It is. In the US, part of the problem is to take the CPA exam, you need to have a master's in accountancy. So, it's a five year degree. And so, said my son's in college. If he wants to go into accounting, it's a five year degree and he doesn't make any more. Or he can go into finance, get a four year degree, and make more than if he stayed the fifth year in accounting. And so, it kind of becomes an accounting question. Or you go into a law degree and you come out with a starting salary of 120,000,
0: 150,000 a year and not sixty or 70,000 a year. And you think, hmm, what should I do here?
1: But I think, I think part of it too is lifestyle, just in terms of the perception and people are realizing that you know i don't need to spend all that time for 3 years working 80 hours a week the upside isn't there and there's other alternatives going into industry one of the things whenever i speak to students i say you know you want to follow your passion well your passion might be music and maybe you can't sing or play an instrument but you love music well the music industry has accountants the music industry has finance people so go work for a record label as the in the accounting department and there's there's ways that we can connect with what it is we enjoy doing in life as part of our profession without being a professional athlete or professional musician or whatever the case may be. And that doesn't require being an auditor for three years at the beginning of your career. So yeah, there is a there is a shortage of people coming into it, into the profession, coming out of college. And that's, you know, it's, it's a, in a sense, it's a, you know, we are talking about math earlier. It's an applied math question. This is the cost of my five-year education. This is the benefit. This is the cost of a four-year education. And I make more money with one less year of education. So I'm fascinated about what your job involves, Brian. I remember back when I was teaching
0: mathematics, I ended up coming out of teaching because I was coaching coaching kids to pass tests. It became more about that coaching and the the test and the exam league tables, if you like, than it was about educating children. But you're very much in the business, aren't you, of coaching and helping people to pass intense rigorous academic qualifications so what is your role involved
1: there is an element of coaching i think a lot of it comes down to motivation um when you're studying and you have a two-year plan that you're going to be studying it takes some commitment to to make it through that because we know in today's world there's all kinds of alternatives for our attention and to come home and tuesday night you're going to study and not do whatever other alternatives your friends have come up with on it. It's a sacrifice, isn't it? Right. And so part of it is motivation. Um, part of it is just kind of helping people keep their eyes to what it is that they're doing. I always say when you start a certification, there's one question that if you can answer it correctly, you'll pass. And if you can't answer it correctly, you'll fail. Just So you can start at the beginning. The question is, why are you doing it? Why do you want to become whatever certification it is? And The nice thing is, is there's really no incorrect answer to this. You just have to have an answer. And when we used to have live taught classes, I'd ask a group and people would say, oh, I want to be smarter. I want to learn more, you know, but then finally some brave person would say, I want more money. And I say, yeah, that's the reason most people start a certification is they want more money. And you just need to remember that, that this period of sacrifice to pass the exam is going to be a better job or promotion, a higher salary, a bonus and that's what it is that I'm I'm trying to do. But if you don't know why you're doing it, don't start because Tuesday night you're going to end up doing something other than studying. Yes,
0: mindset is such an important part of it. So the qualifications themselves, I've got a black belt in kickboxing and you'll appreciate they don't give those away. They don't give a CPA qualification away without a lot of hard work and and many people fail it. Same with the chartered accountancy qualification. What is good about accounting qualifications right now? The
1: thing that I think is the the biggest benefit of it has to do with individuals who, in a sense, want to move locations. And this has to do with the university you attended. Yeah, I went to Miami University. And if I say to somebody outside of where I live that I went to Miami University, they think I went to Miami, Florida, and they have pictures of Disney World and sunshine and palm trees. Yep. The Miami I went to is in the state of Ohio, it snows. (laughs) And so when I went to Miami, my Miami, it was the top five accounting program in the country, but nobody knows that. And so when I go outside of whatever geographic area that people know Miami is a good school, my education means nothing. It's just, you know, I, I don't know where you went and I don't know how good of a university that is. So if I want to go to another country or to another part of the country, my education, okay, I have a bachelor's degree, but you know, who knows? Well, once you pass a professional certification, whatever it is, everybody knows, well, that's the exam. This is the syllabus that this person knows 70, 75% of, maybe not all of it, but they they know most of it. It's universal. It's transferable. It's a passport. It demonstrates you have this body of knowledge because I may have studied a set of classes in my accounting degree and you may have studied most, you know, a lot similar, but I took an international accounting track and you took a tax track or something like that. And so- your accounting education and my accounting education are different. But once we've both passed the same exam, well, maybe your accounting university was better than mine, worse than mine, whatever. But here's a standardized test that we have both passed and we know we know what we know. That's a, a
0: very good diplomatic answer. Let's say then I made you the czar and the overlord of accounting qualifications worldwide and you are above all the governing bodies and in professional institutions, and accreditations and universities and everything. You are the man. So I'm hiring you for this job. If you get it, you start Monday.
1: What would be one of the first things you would want to put right, Brian? I'm not going to make any friends with my students <laughs> or people. And I would, I would make the exams harder. Now, that's interesting. I understand that multiple choice is easy to grade and quick to grade, and it doesn't require people to read it. But to me, there needs to be an element of whether you call it a case study or something, but where you bring the knowledge from different parts of the exam together. Has that been eroded from qualifications, prime of these? Some, yes, I think. Um, some are only multiple choice that I know. Some have some element of writing in it, but it's a smaller. I, I don't want writing from the standpoint of do you know where to put commas and can you spell every word perfectly and all of that. But just the, the, the community bringing together information outside of a multiple choice question. And, and are, are you able to, you know, and maybe even questions where there's not a right answer, but you know, explain why, what do you think the company should do? What's the strategy that the company, what are the things that the company needs to take into account? And so those large case study competitions that universities have and, the i'd like to see more of that within the exam and not as much of a and and less of a reliance on multiple choice quite and i understand there's great science behind them and they're and it's not just a random question that somebody's created but i would like to see more of a synthesis of all of that information that an exam covers into a, a more comprehensive approach
0: that's a very honest answer and talking to some of my friends in education There's certainly an accusation that A-levels, which is the main qualification in the United Kingdom, you would call it high school over there in the US, but we we go very deep with three or four subjects, that those A-level exams that you come out with at 18 have become easier. And the reason for that is because grades have become higher. And some say it's because the exams have become easier. Another says because the study habits now and the online tools and the videos and YouTubes and everything else and the way we teach and the way we learn and the coaching has become more prevalent. Is there any truth in accounting qualifications becoming easier or pass marks going down or more
1: people qualify? Well, I think for most exams, the Pass rate stays fundamentally the same. Okay. I understand it may go from 45 to 48 or, I mean, but, but it kind of bounces around that 45 to 55%. But I think, well, when I took the CPA exam, it was four exams. And I had to go two exams on Wednesday and two exams on Thursday. So it was 16 hours of exams over two days. Now it's one exam at a time. You take one exam, then you study for the next exam. And, you, and so is that easier? Did they make the exam harder? Because you now don't have to study for four at the same time. Um, and so with a pass rate too, you, know, you can have a target pass rate that you want to achieve as an organization and, and get to that. I think it's it's a question that's a very valid question is in terms of what we expect from students, even here in high school, college. Um, I, you know, I said my son's in college and uh, I guess I'm now old enough to be one of those people that says when I was young, but I, it seems like there's a slightly different uh, requirement for exams and accounting exams than I remember when I was in college. And so, you know, it, it, different culture, I guess, different way that students learn and what we expect of them probably starting very early in their educational career. The younger generation
0: you see coming through, if you were to advocate a more rigorous case study-based approach to examinations, how would that go down? That would be a tough sell, wouldn't it? If it
1: proves to be more difficult. What I would like to do by making it more difficult is to separate people who've just memorized the the bullet points. I, I want the test to be more than just the bullet points. And this is one of the things when we with our materials, we try to make it so that we want you to understand the concepts. I don't want to give you a mnemonic device that these are the five words you need to know. I want you to know what those five words mean, what those five words represent, why we have those five words, and not just in the multiple choice question, like, oh, that one's not one of the five words I memorized, so therefore it must be right answer, or there's only one of the five words. I want it to be, tell me about those five words. What's the Why is that number important? Why did we learn these five words? And so I I would like to think that for students who have taken their preparation seriously, it it really doesn't change their result. But for students that are just trying to, I'm gonna memorize the the fewest things I need to memorize. I'm going to hack it. (laughs) Yeah. To to just try to, you know, maybe I fail, but if I get lucky on this one, or I'll either get lucky this attempt or the next one and I'll make it through. Yeah, that's very fair.
0: Brian, this has been an excellent conversation on the world of qualifications as it pertains to the accounting world. A couple more questions to finish off. We will put on your, our show notes, Hawk International, Hock Training, the stuff that you do. But, but for the benefit of people that go to your website, what kind of things would
1: they see and how can you help them? We help people right now pass the Certified Management Accounting exam, which is, as the name indicates, Management Accounting. As I said, it covers some fine. Very good business certification. If you're an entrepreneur, if you're running your own business, this is what you need. We also have certified internal auditor um, materials helping people who want to get into internal audit who are who or who are already in internal audit. We are going to be rolling out probably by the time this gets made out posted uh, enrolled agent US tax certification. And we're just looking to kind of build out a library of the support that we can provide to professionals. a growing library of exams. We've been doing it for twenty years now, and we've enjoyed every minute of it. And we're looking to to build out. We've done CPA in the past. We might be doing CPA again in the future. Um, but it's just a matter of helping. And and also, one of the things I tell people is, if you talk to me about what exams you should study, I'm very likely to tell you not to study one of the ones I have material for because if it's not what's going to serve you in your career, I don't want to. I don't want you to spend your time and money on something that in two years you're gonna think, what was he talking about when he told me to do this? It's it's all personal in terms of what you want to do with your career and whether or not we can help you do that. Is that a trend
0: as well, Brian? And we've seen more and more niche specialist qualifications Will we have the certified trusted advisor, the certified international tax specialist, and I'm making these up, but you
1: get the idea. Well, you might not be. There might actually be those. Yeah, it, it is becoming. One of the things, too, is that there's a lot of certifications that are essentially courses that are offered by that body, that whatever body it is, they've, they've got a self-study course, they've got their own course about, you know, international tax planning. I, and I apologize if there is one that does this, but just an organization says, oh, we're going to make a course and we're going to make an exam. And when the Exam is given by the same people that write the materials, and it's kind of a closed circle. That's almost like a continuing education course that they're trying to make into a certification. And so the those niche certifications run that risk of just becoming a just a closed circle, a closed community. But when you're talking about ACCA and CIMA and CPA, these are programs that universities run, that companies have programs that all of their staff go through, or they internationally support. recognized. And so it's a matter of those certifications are going to still be those leading certifications that businesses want their people to do because it's learning more than just one little niche thing. But yes, there are going to be all kinds of niche certificates that are created, um, partially because the internet allows those niche professionals in different countries to connect. Whereas 20 years ago, they may not have had that opportunity to connect, to create a body to to put together an exam, but now they can.
0: And quickly, Brian, do you play in the CPE space? In the UK, we call it continued professional development, CPD. Are
1: you in that? At this moment, no, we're not. I would expect by the end of the year, we probably will be. Because that's how qualifications stay relevant, current up to date, isn't it? Well, ideally, that's how it is, as long as the CPE continues to stay relevant to what's happening. And I think one of the things is um, you take tax. If you're a tax professional, your tax CPE every year needs to be the tax code for whatever jurisdictions it is that you're that you're working in. If you're looking at accounting or auditing, a lot of it needs to be IT-based in terms of the technology, the tools, the analytics, um, just even the amount of data that's collected every day these days increases. Um, and so, yeah, CPE is important it's what makes my 30 year old cpa exam hopefully still <laughs> mean something if i i'm not licensed i haven't maintained it but hopefully helps that have value going forward and you don't sit down and ask your cpa for advice and you get 30 year old <laughs> advice based on when they took the exam but yeah that it's a, it's a an important market and one that hopefully is adding value and isn't just a again getting back to making it more difficult not just a tick box that says yes i sat through this webinar for 45 minutes and I answered three poll questions and therefore I get an hour of CPE or whatever the case be.
0: It's a bit of a mockery, isn't it? Final question, Brian, this has been fascinating. Let's get your crystal ball out. You've been in this game a long time. You've seen a lot of change here and you've seen a lot of good things built into the qualifications and accreditations. What do you think we're going to be in five, 10 years? What will things look like then from what you see now? I think
1: there's going to be a recognition that there's a lot more international connection and certifications are going to start becoming more relevant around the world and not just a national certification, but there's going to be some element of, hey, you know, international is part of business today. Um, I think I ho- also hope that people begin to think past just the exam. Right now, I think a lot of people see their certification as I took the exam, I'm done. I'm going to do my CPE every year, tick the boxes and put it on my business card. There needs to be a development of the profession itself and the professional organizations that you're a member of once you pass these exams. That's all the networking, that's staying current, that's actual continuing education when you go to these conferences and events where they have speakers from businesses and people that are implementing these things and people that are dealing with chat GPT their business and their tech and their service or however it is that they're dealing with it. And so I would like to see a continued growth of the profession part of professional certifications. The Certifications, I think, is very well developed and everybody knows those, but there's actually two words, professional certification. And so I think maybe there's going to be a development. I'd like to see a development of that professional part, that organization, those skills, in addition to just the debits and credits, but what it means to be a professional. Well, what would we'll go a long
0: way towards that, Brian, to put in my two pennyworth, as we say here, is stopping calling it an accounting industry and starting to call it an accounting profession because akin to the legal profession and the medical profession, these people sweat blood and tears to get the qualifications and then demean it by making it blue collar, no offense, but putting industry next to it. And so many influencers and people within accounting use that phrase, particularly in the US,
1: I have to say. Well, it is a profession. And and part of being a profession is main. Well, one of the, I look at it as, as being part of a profession is you're aware that others around you are part of it. And that's not just you against the world. But if I'm an accountant and you're an accountant, we're connected to each other. And how what you do as an accountant will reflect a little bit on me. And and when you see the companies go bankrupt two weeks after their audit report came out that everything is fine, there's a a hit to the profession there that people begin to say, well, wait a second. They just got an audit report that said everything's fine. Two weeks later, they're under. I mean, the ink wasn't even dry yet and there's problems. And so that's part of being a profession, that what happens within one part of the profession does impact both positively and negatively. You know, it's one of the things I say when you're at whatever certification you are, the only reason that certification has value is because the people who came before you got that certification and did well. And the business community said, hey, you know, I know somebody who had that certification. They did really well. I'm gonna give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm gonna hire you, hoping that you share those same characteristics as the other people I know with that certification. And that whole profession is part of that. Amen to that. Brian Huck,
0: superb message. Thanks so much for your passion and your insights today. That's been excellent. Thank Thank you for having me. You're listening to the Accounting Influencers Podcast.
1: Sponsored by Advanced Track. Helping you as an accountant confidently choose between outsourcing and offshoring.